0: We are here, we are queer, and we're changing the world for the better. Welcome to Career Changemakers. Today, our guest is Claire Jones. And just to start, uh, would you like to give a short introduction of yourself
1: yeah yeah happy to be here i'm claire jones i'm an author and small publisher i'm committed to changing the world for the better through inclusive stories and practices so i write fiction and non-fiction novels planners journals workbooks you know all the books
0: <laughs> awesome awesome uh sounds good sounds good so In Queer Changemakers, my my hope with this is to share stories of people and sharing their visions for the next level of our LGBTQ plus community. So when it comes to our community, what is a vision you have for the future?
1: Yeah, that's actually something that I work on a lot in the fiction that I write, particularly. I write fantasy romance, but with a DEI lens and so i look at you know not only gender diversity ethnicity diversity sexuality diversity but also like ableism and ableism and how to approach those topics in my writing in a way that detokenizes the marginalized identity because I think that that's the next step for queer communities, for marginalized communities, is to not have the gay character, not have the black character, not have the trans character, but rather create characters that also happen to be those things. Because we see that in media so often is like, you know, this is the gay best friend, the sidekick that, you know, tags along on every adventure and causes mishaps and all kinds of crazy kooky things. and. I I think we need to move beyond (laughs) the media that we consume.
0: Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in, in along that lines, you mentioned that you are a fiction writer. So how many books have you done or how's that been going for you?
1: Yeah, I did my debut novel, published it last year on Halloween, and I'm writing an eight book series. And so book two is, scheduled to publish this Halloween, and I've already started writing book three.
0: Exciting. Are they uh, uh, scary books? Like, what's what's the gist A about- little
1: bit. Uh, I mean, it's fantasy romance, it's high fantasy, so it's a world that I entirely built myself, and the concept behind the world is that there's eight classes of magic that are inherited from the gods of the world via bloodline. And so um, each of the powers is kind of like elementally connected like fire, water, earth, plants, so on and so forth. And so each book is from a perspective of one of those magic wielders in the world. And so book one follows the heroine who has the blessing of the goddess of death. And so she can see ghosts and interact more with those ethereal plane kind of beings. And she's bisexual in the book and she has like two love interests, but I also wanted to provide um, a different take on tropes as well. When it comes to fantasy romance, like there is what you would call a love triangle, framework set up within the book Mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of jealousy that is produced as a result like the jealousy is not what drives the plot forward it's more character growth that drives the plot forward so I mean it does get spooky there is like blood and murder and you know like scary monsters and stuff but it's not like horror fiction (laughs)
0: okay okay that's cool that's cool it's just with the Halloween release date it makes me just
1: that was more coincidental than anything. I was like, all right, you know, the production timeline was leading up to it and Halloween is just a good holiday. So I was like, sure, why not? <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Awesome. So uh what what sort of got you into that? Like why of all the things you can write? Um totally. all that way.
1: I mean, I've been a creative since birth and a writer since age seven, honestly. My mom was an art teacher for 25 years. So every bone in my body is a creative bone. And once I learned language and reading and writing, I just absolutely fell in love with the way that humans communicate to one another. And falling into a love of reading very early on, I particularly gravitated towards fantasy and romance books. Like I, started reading romance novels probably at a too early of an age, like third grade was when I found my first romance novel. I found it in a rubbish sale in a church basement for $1. And I don't know why the organizers let me buy it, but they did. Um, And so over the years, I tried a bunch of different writing styles. Like in fifth grade, it was like really poorly written fan fiction uh in high school it was very angsty poetry as one does as a teenager and I ended up getting awards for it in high school um so apparently I was on to something in college I got my degree in art history and so I started writing academic articles for academic journals and got published in those when I was in college and that's when I started my public speaking career as well because they trained you to be a lecturist when you're in art history academia And so I started doing public art lectures around that time. And then, graduating from college, I tried writing my first nonfiction book. It was basically a life hacks book for 20 somethings because, like, no one knows how to change a tire on their car. No one knows how to do their taxes. (laughs) No one knows how to, you know, do all these basic life adulting things. And so I figured I would write a book on that. And I got 50 pages in and I started even querying agents for it, Um, but I ran face-first into depression that year and ended up just falling off the cliff because it was like the deepest depression I'd ever run into. And so I kind of paused everything for about 10 years and went into entrepreneurship. And uh, I realized, you know, a couple of years ago that I spent all of that time doing business writing instead. I just didn't realize that that's what I was doing. Because I was writing operations manuals, I was writing legal agreements, I was writing, you know, blog posts and emails and social media content campa- campaigns and speeches and webinars and courses like I was still writing all of this content, but I didn't realize that that was the common denominator is writing was really Underlying all of that, and so I went through a bit of a existential crisis at the end of 2021. I realized that the work that I was doing was not fulfilling me, not tapping into my creative urges the way that I wanted them to, that the way that I needed them to, honestly. And one of the first steps of getting out of that crisis for me was allowing myself to read for fun again. Because as a business owner, my reading list had become all nonfiction. You know, yeah. business books, psychology, personal development, marketing. And I wasn't reading for fun anymore. So I went back to fantasy and romance because those were the genres that fulfilled me for so much of my childhood. And I just fell in love with it. And Doing a bunch of reading, I also realized that I've read a lot of bad books over the years. I was like, there are books out there that are popular, that are beloved, that have like space on library shelves and bookstore shelves and have legitimate followings where the editing is bad or the ending doesn't make sense or it just has very poor grammatical choices or character choices in it. And so finally, one day I was like, I could probably do better than some of the bad books that I've read over the years.
0: Okay. So like, so with that, since, since you brought it out, uh, you don't have to name the book itself. Mm. But <laughs> of the bad books that are out there in the fantasy romance genre. Um, do you have a couple standouts that were just uh, uh, very good I examples mean, of bad?
1: <laughs> of yeah. Not- I mean, it's hard to pick a specific example because Audit, honestly, they faded into the obscurity of my memory. <laughs> like I read 112 books last year. And so um, it's hard to pick out particular ones, but I can like say one of the recent book series that I've read, there were entire sentences missing from the formatting of the book. Like when you change changed from the chapter title page to the next page, whoever did the formatting just like often skipped the first line of that next page. That's And so, like, that's just an example of, like, bad formatting, bad editing. Like, one of the books that I'm reading currently kind of sounds like an AI wrote it because it's so repetitive. And, like, each sentence is just, like, a slightly different version of the sentence before it. (laughs) And so, like, it's hard to pick out any particular book, but those are examples of, like, the types of bad practices that I see in books. Okay, okay.
0: I guess I was more wondering if there was like a story that that wanted to make sense and then it just went. Yeah, um, I mean, there was
1: one series. Go. Yeah, there was one series that I read last year that I rage finished it because I was so mad about how the series had gone. Um, one of my most despised writing practices is when someone Puts more than four points of view into the same book. So like if you're giving chapters that are from the point of view of different characters, it starts to get confusing if you do more than four characters that way. And it's a very, you have to have a very high level of skill set in order to emotionally engage the reader in more than four characters, right? Because we don't always want to see the point of view from, you know, the side character that we met back at that tavern 10 chapters ago, right? Mm -hmm. And so this book had eight, 10 different points of views that it was doing in this series. And One of the other things that really pisses me off is time magic (laughs) when we get to fantasy because time magic cannot be often used as a deus ex machina, just like a very easy band-aid solution to a plot problem that you've made for yourself. Like, I'll just fix this plot hole with time magic. Like a lot of authors do that. Like, I'll just go back in time, put in a time machine, and like everything will be fixed because of this plot hole that I made for myself. And so that series not only had the multiple points of view, but also used time management time manage- magic as a way to like fix the end of the series. And so at the end of the series, like the ship, the two people that I had been shipping this entire series never ended up getting together at the end because of time magic. And so like, that's an example of like, horror writing or writing bad practices that <laughs> I've seen the
0: <laughs> yeah. years. Or just unfulfilling when you get yeah. to it. You're totally. like, well, we have to end this somehow. Yeah. Certain, certain high, high, high series that were on television that are no longer here that were just like, wait, all of this whole time you could have. Totally. <sighs> it's okay. It's okay. It's the yeah. journey. though. It's the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, on the other side of that, outside of your book series, obviously, um, are there any, like, highly recommended books from, in the uh-huh. fantasy and romance category that you're like, if someone's going to start, they they read your books every year when they're coming out, and then this other series would be a really good one?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. Yeah. Um... It's not necessarily queer focused, but one of the best fantasy series that I've come across that is diversity focused is a, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, Uh, Empire of Gold is the last book in the series, but I'm going to just look it up real fast. It's by S.A. Chakraborty, and it's the Devabad Trillal trilogy i can't say that word um wow. but it is a high fantasy series where all of the cultural references are based in middle eastern cultural references
0: oh, okay.
1: and so like all of the characters are middle eastern descent you know um and the magic classes of this world are very much like jinn based like mm. genie based and like It's just very fascinating for me to find series that have these multicultural elements. Like I made a big um, effort last year to read people of color authors especially fantasy series. And so I read African mythology series. I read Middle Eastern mythology series. I read Chinese mythology series. If you want to do the queer perspective with Chinese mythology, one of my favorite books from last year was Iron Widow by Zhiran J. Zhao. And she very expertly weaves together queer concepts and queer personalities but not tokenizing them within a science fiction framework that is influenced by Chinese mythology and it is just fascinating so there are tons of good books out there um if you want to explore that kind of thing
0: all right that's awesome that's awesome I feel like and Over the past few years, I've been a part of a queer book club. Mm, mm -hmm. Some of the books that we've read were specifically in certain places. Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't enjoy all of the book, um, it was sort of good. Like, we read a a book about, I think it's the the life and death of Vivek Oji, which is...
1: Oh, I've heard of it. I haven't
0: read it, though. Yeah. It was great. And um, there's another book we read, Young Mungo. Um, that took place in like Scotland. Yeah, I think Scotland, and mm-hmm. it was written for that. And I think it was it's good to see these, to hear of these queer stories, but also like to get the context of the culture. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's good just to see new experiences, new perspectives, and similar uh, themes. I
1: but I love exploring mythologies from different parts of the world, like the way that they create their belief systems like the african mythology system um it's called skin of the sea by natasha bowen and it was based on the mythology around mermaids in africa and um how they are influenced by the african gods and things like that and that was absolutely it was beautifully written absolutely fascinating just a great series too i think if it's a duology i don't think it's a series but
0: Okay, that sounds definitely uh, interesting. And I think sometimes my background's like from a Christian Mm. tradition, a more conservative Christian tradition. And I think sometimes there's this idea like, no, we have the truth and other people don't. Mm. But then when you start like looking more, it's like, wait a minute, why do some of your stories sound like some of our stories? Absolutely. But they weren't connected, and it's like, wait, is this just like a human response to life?
1: Yeah,
0: and it's it's it can be very interesting, and some people may not be able to have those kinds of conversations, um, but I I can appreciate it because like we're all we're all people, mm-hmm. and that's fun. That's fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I I appreciate you sharing this the diversity that you proactively went through last year like i want to make sure i yeah open my mind up and see these yeah things.
1: because i i was tired of reading the same story time and time again because that's really easy to come across in fantasy and romance in particular like those two genres have been very heteronormative cisgendered straight white male for decades at this point and it's just been within the last 10 years like yes there's been gay fantasy queer fantasy coming out since the 80s right Mm -hmm. but it hasn't really hit mass market appeal until recently and like I saw a report the other day by a massive consumer research group that was saying that the desire for queer content in the media is higher than the amount of queer media that's out there right now Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, more consumers are demanding more queer content, but the production companies just aren't fulfilling that need satisfactorily yet. And so, I think that's going to be the next wave of media that we're seeing because representation matters and our culture, our demographics are changing.
0: Um, mm, it's two different directions to go with that. Because um, <laughs> on the one side, there's, there's actually, no, I'm just going to go where I wanted to go. Um, With that, you mentioned there is that uh, gap in mm-hmm. what's produced and what people want. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say there is someone who may listen to this, who may, you know, have an idea for a story mm-hmm. or might like, be like, Ooh, you know, be cool. This. Mm -hmm. um but it's just an idea and like to make it real there's I assume a lot more steps and effort that has to take so like for a super if someone had an idea for a story Mm -hmm. um, what would you suggest to them to like flesh that out or just to see what can what they can make from it
1: I mean honestly we start with what your goal is like do you just want to put the story out in the world and you don't care making money off of it you don't care whether it brings you fame and fortune and all of attention and all of that jazz like if that's just your goal to put the story out there write fan fiction put it up on tumblr put it up on you know whatspad or any of those other more casual story sharing sites right because you're just trying to put the story out there if you're just trying to share that story with the world, that's a great way to do it. If you're looking to monetize it, if you're looking to create a career out of it, then think about whether you want to pursue self-publishing or traditional publishing. I'm one of those people that prefers self-publishing because it offers a lot more control and I'm an efficiency nerd at the end of the day, and it takes a lot less time to do self-publishing than traditional. But some people feel more comfortable with the support system that traditional provides. You don't have to do everything yourself. You don't have to look for your editor. you don't have to manage your cover designer and deal with all of the marketing. I mean you still have to deal with all of the marketing mostly with traditional publishing, but you really just need to start with your goal in it all.
0: okay, okay. that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. So in your your journey, so, your books have been self-published. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so in your process, so either publishing the books or getting to where you are now, mm-hmm. uh, what's like a, one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in this process or in your journey of life for this moment?
1: I think one of the funniest obstacles that I've come across is people taking me seriously when I say that I'm an author full-time. <laughs>
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So the the obstacle is them not
1: taking you seriously? Yes. Yes. Um, Because I often blow, I do a lot of business networking. I've been a business consultant for about five years. And so that is my primary form of marketing nowadays. And it's a very high returning form of marketing. I recommend it to anyone for their strategies, but I often run into business owners and entrepreneurs who sell services and they're used to coming across book coaches and author coaches people who like have coaching programs for aspiring authors when I just sell products I just sell books and there's a lot of people that just cannot
0: comprehend
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is really funny on my end
0: (laughs) okay okay so just just to make sure I I get so like they expect you to be coach person teaching me this and you're just like book here's a link Go get it and they're like but 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 yeah
1: yeah and like I just see like the wheels trying to turn in their head as I'm talking to them trying to find some understanding of what I'm telling them but I mean like if I had to boil that obstacle down to one thing is people's preconceived notions of things are obstacles right Yeah. Like they are going to see the world through a certain lens. People are going to view you and your work through a certain lens and you can't control that lens. That lens is completely up to them. And so one of my biggest obstacles when I'm talking to people, when I'm going down this path is trying to get past that lens, trying to get past those preconceived notions that they have of me, of my work, of writing in general. Like I've had to Kind of disrupt their thinking patterns often because they don't even realize how big of an industry romance novels are in the first place. Like it's a billion dollar industry. The top performing fantasy romance writer right now Mm -hmm. makes $400,000 a month off of Amazon sales alone. Wow that doesn't include Barnes and Noble, that doesn't include Target, that doesn't include everywhere else that sells her books. Only from Amazon alone, she makes $400,000 a month. And so I spent a lot of my time also educating people on the industry of authorship. Because people don't understand, we are brainwashed by the starving artist trope, right? And that's one of the biggest obstacles that I have to surpass when I'm talking to new people about this, because they just have preconceived notions of what is profitable and what is not profitable. Okay. They see author coaches as profitable. They do not see authors as profitable.
0: Okay. Um, hmm. So I feel like on one side, there's a starving artist trope. Mm-hmm. And on another side, sometimes people have the idea that I'm gonna write this perfect book and it's going to make me a million, like it's going to do everything on yeah. its own. Um, I don't know if that part is true for for the average person, but like, what would you say is like the, the standard or how to, right? Like neither of those may be most realistic. Life. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it, somewhere be a in the middle,
0: right? It's going like, to be
1: somewhere in the middle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you have to divorce yourself of this another preconception that your art is going to speak for itself. That's the biggest issue that I find with people who come from the creative background versus the business background. Like there's two preconception camps, right? There's the creative background and there's the business background. The business background people don't believe that writing is profitable. The creative background is holding on to that pipe dream that they're going to become the next Banksy because that's what is portrayed in media. Again, we're coming back to representation matters, right? So the creatives see the representation of these overnight sensations. They see the Colleen Hoovers of the writing world. They see the, you know, massive successes of the eight figure traditional publishing contracts that go to like the Obamas (laughs) that go to Harry, uh, Prince Harry, you know, with his spare book that he came out with recently. Like those are the people that get the eight figure contracts from traditional publishing companies. And so it's always gonna be somewhere in the middle, right? Like you have to treat in order to get to that phase, you either have to be really good at marketing, really good at selling, or have a pre-established brand presence.
0: Okay.
1: Because if you have the pre-established brand presence, that's what's going to sell the book because people buy into you as the creator, not the creative piece. And that's the gap that I think is most missing for most creators, is that they think they can rise from complete obscurity to New York Times bestseller, when really you need to be like influencer New York Times bestseller.
0: Okay,
1: that's cool. Or you need to go from obscurity to influencer and then New York Times bestseller.
0: Okay. All right. So like, um, hmm. So again, for this theoretical person who's super just starting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any any hints or tips that they can use to think about, okay, I am random person, no I know have my network around me wherever I live. I need in order to do this book and for it to be successful and for me to put in this time that it'll take. Um I need that audience. I need to mm-hmm. become a certain level of influencer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what could they how can they do you have any tips for that?
1: I mean, my very simplified tip that I tell everyone is be shockingly relatable because the shock factor is what's going to get you visibility, and you can use that for good or for evil. <laughs> a lot of people use the shock factor for arguing for controversial opinions, for conflict. You know, we've seen on Twitter especially recently that the shock factor is coming from very graphically violent videos, like murders happening on video, suicides happening on video because that drives engagement on these platforms. Instead, I say we shock them with relatability because that's a lot more sustainable and it's a lot more ethical at the end of the day. So you need to tap into your audiences where you understand them, they understand you, and you are so relatable that they see themselves in you. Like, and this can be even as simple as like, do you like coffee or tea? Do you like dogs or cats? Who's your celebrity crush? What fandoms do you follow? because those little pieces of information about yourself are going to resonate with your target audience. Like for example, sometimes on TikTok videos, I get comments of like, oh my God, are we the same person? That's the type of reaction you want because they see they them and you. And so they automatically trust you because it's familiar to them, because it's relatable to them. And so that's going to create brand loyalty at the end of the day, which is going to generate your audience and
0: make it bigger. That's that's a really cool comment. And I it's I, I like how we're sort of talking about books, but we're sort of talking about things that are much wider than books. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, some of the communities that I'm a part of or some of the people who stand out and some of the better friends that I have um, That quote of Are we the same person? It's like, okay, we're not, but also I was thinking the same thing. Exactly. Um, this is why we're friends. Yes. This is why we're friends because we're the only ones laughing at that stupid joke, but it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: that's how our brains are wired. We're evolutionarily wired to support the people we know, like, and trust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, therefore, we're going to buy from the people that we know, like, and trust, and we're going to support the people that we know, like, and trust. And so,
0: that comes from being shockingly relatable. Okay. Okay. Cool. I like. I love that. Like it works for books, but it also just works for life. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, it's a foundational concept that a lot of people miss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really easy to be um, um, distracted by the the glitz and the glamour, and it's like tiny oh,
1: object syndrome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just need to go to TikTok and like yep. create the next yep. dance for the yes. next ice bucket challenge or whatever threads is totally um, all of that but okay okay so um where you are now mm-hmm. uh your business you're so you're writing books mm-hmm. and also you've mentioned that you sell both books that you've written but also like workbooks it mm-hmm. sounds like. Mm-hmm. yeah um actually can you talk a little more about the workbooks that you're totally sell?
1: Yeah. So I do planners, journals, and workbooks. Um, The journals are very simple. They're just Zodiac journals. Like they're just lined bullet grid blank papers with, you know, the Zodiac sign on the front of them. And it's has inspirational quotes that are related to that Zodiac sign space throughout it. So those are kind of more of my more passive income streams. And I just love astrology in general. And I wanted pretty notebooks and I love journals. So other people like pretty notebooks and they love journals. So it was like an easy... Product line to integrate into my business, but for my planners. One is a moon phase planner where each year I walk through each week of the year and talk about the moon phase, talk about the retrogrades, talk about the seasons that we're in. Um, I'm on the woo-woo spectrum. And so Mm -hmm. I just got tired of looking all that information up for myself every week. And so I just put it in a dated planner. I'm about to launch 2024s here soon. I just uploaded the files this week. And so that should be ready to go by, you know, the swing of the holiday season when everyone's buying their planners. Um, And then the other one is a self-published author, 52-week planner, and that's more of my nonfiction work. That's where I dive into this bridge between business mindset and creative mindset. Because like I said, there's these two camps, right? There's these two people, two groups of people who have these preconceived notions, but there often isn't a bridge between the two. I provide that. Because I have been a creative my entire life, I know how the creative brain works really well. And I also have 10 years of entrepreneurship experience and I founded four businesses. So I know how to bridge the gap between, you know, your artwork, your writing, and marketing it as a product, putting up the correct business systems, making sure that you're paying your taxes, you know, making sure that you're copyright protected, like all of these production, marketing, promotion concepts and strategies and systems and um I had all that information in my brain and people kept asking me these questions so I put it in a planner.
0: <laughs> but in a planner why didn't you make a coaching program?
1: Because I don't want to do service work.
0: <laughs> it was a that was a joke.
1: Yeah. Person. I mean people ask me this question every <laughs> single week. They're like oh you can make a coaching program. Oh you can do this and I'm like I don't want to
0: <laughs> Love that, love that. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the the self-awareness and knowledge. I think there's a lot of people who are smart and good at what they do, right? Totally. And can really help anyone create a coaching program. Exactly. And there are a lot of people who try to fall into that. And it's like, what if I don't like coaching? And what if I don't like the thing? And they're like, but it's the easiest that's scalable and time and all the good stuff. But right. I like how you're being integrity integris sure that's a word Integrate to yourself and be like this is what i want
1: yeah i mean Um, a word is just a collection of sounds that have a preconceived meaning attached to them mm
0: -hmm, so mm
1: -hmm. integritus can be totally a word in my opinion oh yeah
0: i um, (laughs) my seventh favorite thing is probably making up words yeah um, and if I had a t-shirt making machine, I would have the craziest t-shirts cause they'd have all have made up words, but yeah. maybe like a picture too. That's like, that word doesn't exist, but that picture makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's why I don't have a t-shirt machine. Cause I would just, it would be weird. Um, too weird. Uh, but cool, cool. Okay. So with, with what you're doing now, um, sometimes we tend to see people on Instagram Mm. And we see their Instagram version of life. We see their yes. highlights and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um. So with that, so like currently, are there any current challenges that you're like facing either in the, yeah, any direction? Yeah,
1: I mean, the summer slump is always a big one. Mm-hmm. People don't buy much in the summer. June, July, sometimes August are often the lowest sales months for businesses, because people are on vacation, people are dealing with their kids, people are carting their kids to and from summer camps, and trying to maintain their sanity when they have several kids with several different sets of activities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's one thing that we're going through right now is just the summer sales slump, which is something that I've learned to anticipate over the decade that I've been an entrepreneur. And I can't say that I learned the lesson early on. (laughs) I had to learn that lesson time and time and time again. And most Junes, I do fall into a mild depressive episode because of it. But this year, I think I triumphed over it. So I'm feeling pretty good because I saw it coming and I'm okay with it.
0: Nice. nice. But it
1: is still depressing to just like go look at my numbers and be like, mm, mm, mm.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But I
1: also know that the holiday season will be big. So that's just like the it's just the summer slump. And I just have to like, you know, deal with it. Okay. Cool. Which is why emotion regulation strategies are so important. <laughs>
0: Emotional regulation. That is, that is so key. Do you have, uh, what's one of your favorite strategies in that direction? If that's even a real question.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, when I was looking through your questions earlier this morning, in terms of like my favorite self-care activity, I saw that on there. And the answer that I thought of, which is definitely one of my emotion regulation strategies is end of day dance parties it's how I reset myself after a long day of work is I put on some brain blasting playlist. Lately, it's just been straight up metal, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I just need to like spend some time either A, dancing around my apartment with my earbuds in or B, sometimes I just lay on the floor. listen to the music and like just let it wash over me because it produces dopamine in your brain and it's going to like help you reset that emotional mood wherever you are. I really underestimated the effect of music prior to when I started writing Mm full-time because I realized how much of an emotional tool music is. Like not only does it help me tap into the emotional states of my characters, but it also helps me regulate my own emotional states.
0: Interesting, interesting. So like, if you're writing a character and like the character is going through something like a loss or whatever. Totally. Would you like listen to sad music to like help keep that going?
1: Yeah, yeah. I create playlists for each book that I write. Hmm and they it's usually like six to seven songs per playlist and it just tracks the emotional arcs that I'm playing with in that book and so I usually have like a song about like the character's emotional state at the beginning of the book the character's emotional state at the middle of the book and then at the end of the book and so like I can track that emotional arc a lot more better. And like, if I'm writing a certain dialogue scene and I need to tap into that character's point of view a little more deeper, I will put that one song that I've picked for that emotional point in the story and like sometimes listen to it like five times in a row before I continue writing the scene because I just need to like sink down into that emotional state Mm -hmm. to write it appropriately.
0: That's that's a really cool idea.
1: It's also fun, you know, like just this morning I was listening to one of my playlists for book, I think it's gonna be book five. I've already created playlists out in advance. Um, And I'm I'm absolutely in love with this character that's going to be the focus for book five. And I'm kind of like bummed that I can't play with him yet. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have to get through book three and four first. But um he's a really big, like punk influenced character. And so his vibe is just immaculate. And so like this morning I was listening to like his portion of the playlist and like Nirvana Smells Like Team Spirit came on. And like that's how I was able to start my day on that, like, you know, spunky, high energy note.
0: I I love that. I love that. Because I like I enjoy music, but sometimes I guess similar to what you were saying about the books that you were, you've been reading. And it's like oh, personal development, this book, business, totally. mindset, ah. Oh. Um, and not like fun stories that just you know come out of nowhere and may not have any technical benefit, let's mm-hmm. say, other than just <laughs> Listening to a good story, which in itself can be like a really great benefit.
1: I heard something the other day that I'm still processing. So I'll Mm -hmm. I'll hand it to you and see how you're dealing with it. But I heard that, you know, leisure and work time, right? Leisure isn't technically leisure if it's in reaction to work. Mm -hmm. So if you're prioritizing leisure time or participating in leisure time as a way to recover from work, as a way to prep for work, as a way to be better at work, it's not really leisure time, because it's still in relation to work time. So how can we integrate more leisure time activities in our day-to-day
0: lives that aren't a response to work? Hmm. Uh- I like that. I like I like the idea that I like the idea that like I think last year was my year of coaching. So like I too many coaching programs. Yeah. Um I just think a bad strategy. But one one coach um talked about how people sometimes are just like living for the weekend.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: It's like living for vacation. I'm doing all of this because of that. Totally. It's Friday. Yay. Let's go to the bar, right? Like let's let's balance out based on this. Yeah. Um and he's an authenticity coach. And his idea was like, um, how can everything you do be like from within instead of like without? Yeah. Like inside.
1: Yeah.
0: Like I could see that because sometimes it's like sometimes like even even stupid things like going to the gym, right? Like, am I going to the gym because I want to like. Experience the endorphins and I want to like do the thing, or am I like going to the gym because it's summertime and I'm gonna be on the beach and I don't want people to think of me this way or that way? And it's like sometimes our reasoning, sometimes we don't look at all the reasons for what we do. Totally. Um, and like in life and capitalism and in many countries, um you need work, right? Things are expensive, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just like I need the money though. So mm-hmm you might be doing something for the money, even if you enjoy doing it, right? Even if you still do it, but like if you're doing it for the money, it's a different, it might have a different um, feeling. Yeah, I
1: mean, to use a very silly example, recently we've been dealing with the confirmation of aliens from our government, right? They confirmed a few days ago that aliens do exist and that they've seen alien bodies. And most people aren't really caring about this news because we've got more important stuff to care about, like paying our rent, because we are in this capitalist machine. And so there's a lot of memes going around the internet right now of being like, oh, aliens? Oh, well, I still need to work. So it doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) The world is still burning, right? Like all the things that we're doing right now. And, um, uh, like what are we like? What are we even going to do with aliens? We don't even what we don't even know. Yeah. Um. And I guess also I've not even heard this news, but I don't. Really oh. pay, I don't pay attention to the news easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually. They've done some very official press pre- press conferences to confirm that the U.S. government has confirmed in- interactions with alien bodies. Interesting. And alien aircrafts, and they have some. Dead corpses of some sort somewhere.
0: Hmm. This whole time, mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's that's a good rabbit hole break that I might go on this week <laughs> in the next few days. Is just you know just let's see what aliens are like or what 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 does this mean? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, um,
1: the Pentagon is gatekeeping the information. That- There's a lot going on. <laughs>
0: there is there is there is and every so often my my like anti-conspiracy theory conspiracy theory mind comes into play yeah it's like is something else actually going on and they're like oh you know what just stole the aliens stole the aliens and if they have a question about this real problem we'll worry about this um
1: that's also highly likely
0: yeah so okay just to go back to that one thing i do think I do like that idea about leisure not being in reaction to work.
1: Yeah.
0: Or, how do I say it? If we're able to redefine work as not a reaction to bills or not a reaction to adulting, um, then maybe the leisure will also not be a work time, play time. It's like, I don't know, lifetime? Um, This is my time. This is, for me, this is just in time, right? And Dustin enjoys these types of things, whether he's at work or at play or other parts of life. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, I think that could be a, that might be an interesting way to see it.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm still processing it. I'm like, all right, what does that mean though? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, I think that's what a lot of coaching things were last year. It's like, oh, that's a really good idea. But like, but still, but how do I?
1: Yeah, like like, what does that mean for- my day-to-day existence
0: <laughs> yeah. I still have bills and I still have things to do yeah some of me like you know taking personal responsibility mm-hmm. but I'm still in groups with other people right mm-hmm. but like I can how do you how do I take these lessons that are that I can see the value in them and then make it reality and then having both they say things like high intention and low low attachment. Yeah. I'm like, I get it, but like uh, I guess that hurts now cuz I'm like but the attachment comes from the intention comes from the attachment and I can see that there's a problem there that I might Yeah,
1: need. is it a highest intention then?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I need to write down now and I can uh journal through later love myself through later my favorite Uh,
1: podcasts are the one that feels like therapy so
0: that that is that that is fair that is fair (laughs) and I guess this is like a nice little self-therapy yeah Um, (laughs) am I too attached to my intention (laughs) (laughs) the answer is
1: probably yes (laughs) I probably answer that for you
0: (laughs) I mean I I I love being human and I love when situations like that happen because it's like those people who are like, hey, I don't mean to be mean, but, or I don't mean to be bad person, but and it's like, hey, the only reason you said that first part of the sentence is because <laughs> your brain said, hey, I think you're about to be mean Yeah, and you tried to feel better about it. But, um, okay, <clears throat> come back. To your brain. <laughs> <laughs> we are here we are here um
1: we are here we are queer talking about aliens right we
0: are here we are queer doing things <laughs> um which is the backup tagline for this it's like i don't know i'm going to talk to queer people who queer people doing things mm-hmm. um because i think it's we all get to do things and even like with the work and leisure there's if we can start more from within
1: mm-hmm. um
0: we can see oh i'm doing these things for this reason and i get to continue doing this thing cuz i like this
1: yes. how versus- do we center our queerness without tokenizing it
0: that is a great question cuz i think sometimes it's it's you have to i don't know like sometimes like part of what it means to be queer is to not be the other thing so yeah. it's like i don't i don't want to yeah but also when i look around society sometimes it's like what if I read the wrong book that's not like proactively queer it may not be queer at all and now mm-hmm. I'm like, why do I even why do I do this or it might be anti-queer once you get into the book yeah so it's like you don't want to tokenize the the queer experience or a queer story but at the same time you want to know if it's going to be I would rather read a queer story um and I'm sure for better or worse, like you were saying, there's a gap between queer content and queer production. And I'm sure there are many semi-allies and people who are like, oh, I had a queer character in my book. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, because it's not clear that it was queer. Uh, and that's
1: more often than not, a tokenized character as well. Yeah.
0: And it's it's just like, how do you, how do, you do all of that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is like, I want to talk to queer people who are queer people. Um, I love allies and they are great, but I want to hear more of just queer perspectives because, you know, we see the world differently because we experience the world differently.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So that's helpful. That's helpful. Okay. Uh, I had ideas of questions and directions of conversations, but I can sort of start landing the plane. So, what's (laughs) what's next, <laughs> what's next for you? What's, what's, what's upcoming in your world, um, for the rest of this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's getting book two published for sure. It's in the beta reader stage right now. I just got my first round of edits back from my editor. The covered art should be released today. Okay. I saw an email from my cover artist right before I jumped in the Zoom call. So I'm really hoping because I'm going on vacation next week. So I gave him a little poke. I was like, can I get this by end of day Friday, please? (laughs) Um, So that's definitely like the biggest thing on my plate right now. The 2024 Moon Phase Planner is another thing on my plate right now. Um, I'm working on two different Udemy courses, like making them. I'm going to make one about self-publishing. I'm going to make one just about marketing in general, because that is the most common question that I receive from my audiences, whether they are creatives or business people or anywhere in between. People ask me time and time again about marketing advice. And so I've created a workbook on marketing. I've created a workshop on marketing. I just ran a workshop yesterday yesterday. And now I'm creating a Udemy course for it as well, trying to get that information out there. Um, Also, all of the Zodiac journals for the rest of the year. So trying to also just maintain my sanity, I think, (laughs) is the importance in all of those lists.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think think that's, that's probably high up on the list.
1: I mean, there's a reason why I give myself a week off every other month because I am so highly productive during the weeks that I do work that I need that week release valve in mm-hmm. order to maintain my momentum and maintain my functionality, honestly. Like next week, it's going to be a sabbatical is what I call it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to be spending it reading a pile of library books, getting stoned in bed and playing Sims 4.
0: All right. That sounds pretty, that yeah. sounds pretty cool. Pretty, yeah. I, pretty I think
1: I might deep clean my apartment too. I, that's, that's kind of, oh, I think I'm going to no, do no, like, one, I'm going to do one room a day because I can do like one room in like half an hour. Right. And that's so if okay. I do it like in the morning, get it out of the way, you know, caffeinated, get it done. Mm-hmm. And then I can spend the rest of the day being a lump on my couch.
0: Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little, not jealous, but like inspired. (laughs) Inspired. And take take one week off every other month. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. to be.
1: It's worthwhile. I mean, like, for example, the first two weeks that I took this year were full of traveling. Like I went to a conference, I went to go visit to my family back home. So they weren't really like true off weeks, but I try to balance it out throughout the year of being like, all right, this week is completely off. This week is devoted to family. This week is devoted to a conference that I had to go to, you know? So it's not all leisure, but I try to put as much in there as possible. (laughs)
0: That's cool. That's cool. And I like how uh, you connected it to maintaining sanity. But I think it's just another theme of that integrousness of you, where it's like, I know what works for me, I figured things out. And I proactively set myself up for that. Yeah. Um, Which I think is a lesson in and of itself. Um, Totally.
1: I mean, proactive, like, you really underestimate how much better your life can be if you proactively strategize for what you want instead of just reacting to what is given to you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, back to that leisure and work time, that that's the proactive strategy. Yeah. <clears <clears <throat> I mean, that that's down.
1: what manifestation is all about, right? Is like proactively planning for it rather than just waiting for luck to let it fall into your lap
0: hmm. yeah that makes sense and you know if you had a planner for it it would uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we would really to get a planner from oh, uh, i don't
1: know hmm.
0: i heard somebody has them available somehow well yeah yeah we'll see, you know, we'll
1: there might be an efficiency time productivity nerd here somewhere
0: okay yeah yeah Are they behind me? Probably not. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, okay, so as we start closing this up, um, I think you've said a number of things that were interesting, but if you had a piece of advice or, or guiding word of wisdom for either someone who's thinking about book writing or authorship or just someone who's queer out there who see something in the world that they might want to change um is there any wisdom you have for them or something that has stayed with you
1: find and nurture your community Mm -hmm. because those are the you're going to be the people who support you and you know it takes a village at the end of the day like i think we've forgotten that because america is so individualistic and so autonomous like we love being the lone wolf at the head of the pack but it's very lonely that way and that's one of the reasons why we have such a high rate of mental illness in our country and we have the internet at our disposal nowadays there are billions of people out there that could be your people so I would encourage you to practice putting yourself out there in a way that could attract your people. A lot of people are afraid of taking that first step, putting themselves out there because they're afraid of the rejection, but think of all of the benefits that can come from it. Like I found the BookTok community, which is the book corner of TikTok. And that was my community. They are my people. They love me, I love them, and we speak the same language. And I wouldn't have found them if I hadn't gotten over my stupid pride about using TikTok as an app. I avoided TikTok for years because I thought it was stupid. I thought it was just you know pretty girls dancing around pointing at text bubbles, right? But someone finally convinced me to give TikTok a try. This was at the end of 2021 as well. And my entire life is different now. Just because I found that one community.
0: I I wish TikTok would sponsor me. Cause that would. I mean, you should, that's a really great uh, advertisement for TikTok. But also I think the deeper thing is there about community. Yeah. And I do think that like when you're on that community, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's like, are we the same person? Yeah. Um love that. Love that. Also, you said something like <laughs> when you're the lone wolf, it's easy to be lonely. And like, I don't think I've ever heard lone wolf and lonely in the same like
1: yeah.
0: set of time but that that is definitely helpful. All right, so a couple of quick questions, quick questions, Yeah, rapid fire questions as some would tell. So what is what is something that inspires you and why?
1: Um, I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons fan
0: mm.
1: and there's a, this particular stream called Critical Role. I don't know if you've come across them at all. Um, they are pretty much the top Dungeons and Dragons stream out there on any platform, but they stream on Twitch. Um, They had a Kickstarter back in 2018, 2019, where they raised $11 million. It was one of the highest grossing Kickstarters of all time, and they now have an animated series through Amazon. And they started out as just a group of nerdy-ass voice actors playing Dungeons & Dragons on a Twitch stream back in 2016. And they've grown it to this multi-million dollar company that is a driving force in the gaming community now and they are an inspiration to me like not only do I get inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons and the whole like I, a lot of my writing comes from Dungeons and Dragons concepts and stuff like that but just the people who run Critical Role are also very inspiring for me watching their journeys and how they have become shockingly relatable and how they have built an ethical, relatable brand loyalty. Like it's, it's a case study and how to do business correctly.
0: Okay. I definitely heard of them and got into d into the pandemic and my DD group was one of my pandemic bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really, Great way to finish 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, for me anyway, but that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I guess you already talked about self-care. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, so Pride was recent. It's still Mm -hmm. summer. Uh, Do you have any favorite moments from Pride 2023?
1: Uh, Did you come across Patagonia?
0: I do not think so.
1: So the outdoor clothing brand Patagonia, right? Did a pride campaign where they had a drag queen go on outdoors adventures in specially designed Patagonia wear. Mm -hmm. And so her stage name is Patty Gonia. And she has a very well-developed, social media presence now because of that campaign that they ran in June and she is now doing queer outdoor camp events for queers across the country to go hiking together and be queer together and it's just beautiful.
0: (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, Yeah especially based on some of the other things that happened in Pride season with other sponsorships it's nice to see some of the yeah. they story.
1: they did it well they did it very very well
0: okay cool cool and then uh so I like to laugh so do you have a favorite joke or something that you've recently laughed at
1: most of the things that I've laughed at recently is a bit of schadenfreude <laughs> I don't know if you've come across that term yeah. um mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to land well but I, I think it will i was absolutely gleeful i i in general i am gleeful over gen z's approach to life mm-hmm. and i think i've kind of coined it as joyful nihilism i think that's how like gen z is approaching everything And I think a perfect example of that is when all the submarine stuff was going on with Titan and the submersible. Um, Someone came out because one of the guy's stepsons who was supposed to go on the trip didn't go on the trip because he wanted to go to a Blink-182 concert instead.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: And so that came out in the news as all of this was going on. And so someone made a parody Blink-182 song about the submersible being lost. And the line was, my stepdad's drowning in a submarine, and I don't care because I'm at a Blink show. I'm going to be a millionaire, and I didn't do anything, is like kind of like the gist of this parody song that came out. And it was really catchy.
0: that's that's fair that's fair i wasn't a big blink 182 fan but i do remember maybe six of their songs are just like yeah Yeah. if they were on i'd be like oh i remember this they had a lot of. i I I
1: probably woke up every day for an entire week with it stuck in my head is that my stepdad's drowning in a submarine and i was like am i a horrible person (laughs) am i a horrible person (laughs) it made me laugh a lot
0: (laughs) that's fair that's fair I think I think when I look up aliens, maybe I'll listen to this this thing. You know, yeah. there's so many things to do this 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 weekend. Um but awesome, awesome. And then I guess one of my final questions is Is there a queer change maker, someone who's queer out there in the world doing things, taking action that um inspires you? Or
1: yeah. Um I don't actually know her name. I should have looked this up before the podcast, but her username is under the desk news on TikTok. And uh, she's a queer woman who provides up to date news information from under her desk. Like she literally gets under her desk with a little microphone (laughs) and gives news updates every single day. And she has been a driving force in advocacy for the younger generations that normally don't get the visibility that we need in lobbyists and going to the political movers and shakers of our country. Like, she's been to Congress multiple times. She's She has, like, talked to AOC and New York City, and there's just been a lot of her involvement lately in advocating for people who can't advocate for themselves.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That that sounds interesting. And part of my I'm enjoying all of the information I'm getting and like I have to look this up, I have to look that up, get some of these books. Um, so I definitely appreciate that. And that's someone I will be looking into. Well, um I guess my last question is if somebody was interested in your workbooks or talking to you or connecting with you, um, how would they best get in contact?
1: Yeah, all of my platforms are Clairjoyance. So C-L-A-I-R-J-O-Y-A-N-C-E. And so you can find me at clairjoyance.com, all of the major platforms. I'm at Clairjoyance, or you can look up my link tree where like all of my links are listed. So it's link tree slash clairjoyance.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here today. Uh, Thank you for sharing so many different things, whether it's books or uh, mini therapy sessions or interesting jokes and songs that I get to look up later. Um, This was a fun time. And I hope that listeners will be able to take some of what you're saying and, you know, do the next step. And yeah. At the worst case, separate leisure from, like, leisure not in response to work. Absolutely. Someone's going to figure that out, and then they can actually let us know. And then it's like, oh, okay, that's how I make this real and practical.
1: Yeah, even if it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, it's worthwhile just doing something that has no benefit at all.
0: (laughs) Um, We can all be better for that, maybe, I think. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Queer Changemakers podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mesitin, and I hope that you're able to learn from what you just heard and think of ways that you yourself can also make change in your community for the better. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.